0: Good evening. I'm excited to continue studying the book of Revelation with all of you tonight. And tonight is where we kind of start to go down the rabbit hole a little bit. This is where we're going to start seeing some of the crazy imagery that comes throughout in this book. And the topic tonight is going to be the seven seals, seven trumpets, and seven bowls. And ultimately, we're going to look at how these are the warning of the wrath of God that's coming uh, specifically on the Roman Empire. So as we introduce our thoughts tonight, I want to go over a little bit of an introduction and some some background, some things for us to keep in mind as we go through this study, as we go through the book of Revelation. We first need to remember the primary audience that this book was written to. If you remember from Sunday, David talked about the seven churches in Asia, and all these churches were warned of coming persecution, and they're being encouraged to endure this persecution. And we see a choice laid before each church, a choice to follow Jesus and attain victory or a choice to be numbered with the wicked, to fall to the temptation that's set before them. And as we go through the rest of, the, of our study tonight, we see that Jesus lays out what each option looks like. And as we go through the cycle of sevens, we'll see that. I think it's very well characterized by Revelation 2 verses 5 and 7 he says, I will come to you and remove your lampstand from its place unless you repent. So talking to one of the churches, this is option number one. If you don't repent from wicked deeds, if you follow after the wicked people of this world, you're going to be destroyed. Option two, to the one who conquers, I will grant to eat of the tree of life, which is in the paradise of God. And for each of these seven churches, he gives them the option to be conquerors. And he says, to the one who conquers, I will give him eternal life. And so basically he's telling them, choose your side, and I'm going to lay out the options for you and make it clear and give you encouragement to endure this persecution. The second thing we want to remember is this is apocalyptic literature. Whenever we talk about the apocalypse, that basically means an uncovering. I think of a tray of food with a cover on top, you reveal what's underneath. Or you think about these windows over here, They've got that uh, privacy frost on them. It's like removing that so that you can see outside. So the question is, what is being revealed? And I think as we go through uh, these books, you'll, we'll see that this reveals how God sees the world. And so it's taking the human veil off of our eyes and seeing the world in the way that, that God sees it. And so we're given spectacular imagery, uh, uh, crazy scenes that help convey to, what, to us what is really happening in the world. And so to the seven churches, we take a look at Rome, and it looks like Rome is winning the fight. They're persecuting Christians. But this is going to show us that Christ is the true victor. We've talked about this being heavily symbolic. And so it's very clear and obvious that these things are symbolic. Nobody believes that these demon grasshoppers are going to show up and plague the earth. Everybody thinks it means something. But the danger we get into is assigning a one-to-one relationship with everything that we see in the book of Revelation. And so instead of us thinking physical, I want us to think spiritual. If We think about what Israel did with the prophets and, and the coming Messiah, the prophecies of the coming Messiah. They wanted to make that physical. They wanted to believe that the Christ would set up a kingdom here on earth. And so we see that people are still preaching that message today and they're taking the book of Revelation and trying to apply physical principles to it whenever we should be looking at this with a spiritual context. So I want us to keep that in mind. And then also we need to remember the context of the previous books and also context of apocalyptic literature. So the images that we see in Revelation are seen throughout other books and that's why we place an emphasis on going through the books of Daniel and Ezekiel to show the similarities, to show where some overlap is. We'll also talk a little bit about the book of Zechariah tonight. And so when we come across these images and we see uh, links uh, pointing us back to earlier books, it's a sign for us to go and study those books as well, to meditate on them, compare them side to side. And I think when we do that and see the common image, imagery and language, it will clear up a lot of confusion for us as we look at the book of Revelation. And finally, we want to talk about the importance of the number seven and the the cycle of seven that we're going to talk about tonight. So the number seven is used to represent perfection or completion. We think about the seven-day week that was established in creation. The seventh day was the Sabbath. God asked His people to keep it holy. And so this letter was written to the seven churches of Asia, but it's also written to all the churches. So we have this cycle of seven repeated three times in the seals, trumpets, and bowls. And we'll see throughout each of these that there are common themes that are repeated and amplified as we go along. So for instance, in the first uh, round of seven, the seals, a quarter of the earth is affected uh, specifically with the fourth horseman. With the trumpets, a third of the earth is affected, and then the entire earth is affected in the last round of seven, in the bowls. So, we see this uh, concept of amplification. Trevor has talked about this in his first John series. And so, uh, some people will try and apply a linear timeline to the three cycles of seven, but I think a a better approach is to look at this as the same timeline that is repeated and amplified to show us its meaning. And I think if we put our spiritual lenses on, we'll see this message of amplification. There's three or four things that we'll see in each cycle of seven. We see visions of God's judgment on the Roman Empire and the wicked. We see the tribulation and the vindication of the saints. And finally, each seven ends with the day of the Lord, with the kingdom coming on earth as it is in heaven. And so this final day is a terrifying day for the wicked, but we see that it's comfort for the saints. So with all these things in mind, let's dive down the rabbit hole And we're going to start in chapter 4, as we're introduced um, directly after Jesus concludes his message to the seven churches of Asia. John is lifted up in the spirit, and he begins seeing these spectacular visions. And he first sees the heavenly throne room. And there in the heavenly throne room, he first sees God at the center on his throne. And he's uh, shown with a rainbow around him, a spectacular image of God there. He's surrounded by four creatures. These four creatures are also in Ezekiel. They are the cherubim that surround God. There's the sea of glass beyond that. And then there are the 24 elders. The 24 elders represent 12 tribes of Israel and 12 apostles. And so they have crowns and they throw their crowns at the feet of God. As we look at this layout and arrangement, I'll briefly mention that it closely aligns with other holy spaces that we see in the Bible the Garden of Eden, Mount Sinai, and the Temple and Tabernacles. So as you study those things, you'll see common uh, pieces that overlap each other, and uh, those are shown here in John's vision. So the creatures and the 24 elders are glorifying God. They're saying, you are worthy to receive glory, power, and honor. And God on His throne is holding a sealed scroll, and it has seven seals. I'll remind you of the book of Daniel, where Daniel was told to seal up his prophecy for a later day. This is the point where that prophecy is going to be revealed. And as John is is here, and he sees this scroll that represents what was uh, shown to Daniel, it also represents the revealed Word of God, he sees that there's no one worthy in heaven or earth to open the scroll and reveal its contents. But it's at this point that Jesus appears. Revelation 5, verses 5 and 6. And one of the elders said to me, Weep no more. Behold, the Lion of the tribe of Judah, the Root of David, has conquered so that he can open the scroll and its seven seals. So John hears this description of Jesus, this Lion who has conquered. And because he has conquered, he's worthy to open the the seven seals to this scroll. But notice the difference in what he sees. Verse 6, And between the throne and the four living creatures and among the elders, I saw a lamb standing as though it had been slain, with seven horns, with seven eyes, which are the seven spirits of God sent out into all the earth. So here we see that Jesus is presented, and what John sees is a lamb that's been slain, but he is alive again. And it's important to note here at this point, this is a theme that uh, reverberates all the way out through the book. And that Jesus conquers, not by the power of men, but through the power of His death and resurrection. It's because Jesus freely gave up His life, because He is the slain Lamb, that He is the one who is worthy, He is the one who has conquered. And so Jesus, in His conquering, provides victory for the saints and creates a nation of priests and kings. And so at this point, Jesus is praised by all creation And he takes the scroll from God and is seated beside him at the center of the holy space. And it's at this point where Jesus is ready to open the seven seals. As we get into this cycle of seven, we have seven seals, seven trumpets, and seven bowls. And there's three lenses or ways that I want us to take a look at this. Remember, the primary audience is the seven churches of Asia. And I believe the primary intention of this is showing the judgment that is coming upon the nation of Rome the Roman Empire, but also as we look at this and we consider the other beasts that were these worldly kingdoms, I believe this is also talking about the judgment that will be brought upon any nation that rises itself up to become a beastly nation, become like Rome and elevates itself to the place of God. And the third thing is, is we will see that this is God's, uh, talking about God's final destruction of evil and his victory over Satan in the end. So we'll begin with the, uh, the seals that Christ breaks. So as Christ breaks the first four seals, the four creatures uh, call forth these four horsemen. And so the first horseman is white, uh, or the, the horse is white, its rider is given a crown, and he goes out to conquer, and he's given a bow and arrow. The second horse is red, and its rider is given a sword, representing war. The third is a black horse, And the writer has scales in his hands. And as he comes forth, he announces this high inflation on barley or wheat. He says, but don't touch the oil and the wine. And so there's a couple, uh, an interesting historical event with this is Domitian in AD 92 actually decreed that all the the vineyards would be torn down in the midst of a famine uh, to create more ground for wheat. And it was so unpopular that he quickly rescinded the order and took it back. And so I believe this is an allusion to that. But this represents economic hardships and famine. And finally, the fourth horse comes forth, and its rider is death. And he's given authority to kill a quarter of mankind by the means of famine, plagues, and war. So as we talk about what the four horsemen represent, um, we'll start with the, the first one. The rider on the white horse, many believe to be Christ. First of all, he's given a crown and he goes out to conquer. We just talked about Christ being a conqueror. Uh, we also talked about the seven churches being told how they can conquer. And so, uh, with few exceptions, the word conquer in Revelation is uh, used with Christ and the saints. Psalm 45 mentions God piercing the arrows. Uh, piercing the hearts of kings with arrows. Uh, a little more context into this is if we look at Zechariah chapters 1 and 6, we see uh, four horsemen there as well. And these were angelic servants that, of God that patrolled the earth and reported back to Him. And so as we look at the context of the seals, trumpets, and bowls, and we think about the judgment that's coming forth on the Roman Empire, uh, I see these as angels... Um, being led by Christ that will bring calamity on the Roman Empire and on the earth. One other quick thing to mention is the Parthians, who were Rome's enemy to the east, uh, also won many victories against Rome because they were skilled with the bow and arrow. So another um, interesting note of history there. Additionally, as, as we'll see in the sixth trumpet, there are four angels again, uh, that come with a calvary, and they come from the east as well. So, these four angel, uh, these four um, horsemen, are representing the judgment that's being brought upon the Roman Empire. There we go. Seal five is broken, and in chapter six, verses nine through eleven, it says, "When he opened the fifth seal, I saw, saw under, the, under the altar the souls of those who had been slain." For the word of God and for the witness they had borne, they cried out with a loud voice, O sovereign Lord, holy and true, how long before you will judge and avenge our blood of those who dwell on the earth? Then they were each given a white robe and told to rest a little longer, until the number of their fellow servants and their brothers should be complete, who were to be killed as they themselves had been. So here we see the first vision and depiction of the persecution that was going to come on the church. They cry out to God. The, the, their prayers are ascending like the smoke on the altar before God. And they're asking, how long is this going to be? And God is telling them, they've got a while before this ends. There's a period of time of tribulation that's going to happen. There are more people that are going to die. But each of these were given a white robe in victory. The seal, sixth seal is broken. And we see the day of the Lord come upon the earth. And here we see judgment poured out. And as this judgment is poured out, we see uh, that the rich and the powerful, everyone on earth, is afraid of all that's happening around them. It's a scary, it's a terrifying day. And it's so much so that they call and ask the rocks and the mountains to fall on them. And they say this, For the great day of the Lamb's wrath has come, and who can stand? In the day of the Lord, when judgment comes when judgment comes on the wicked, who can stand? This question is presented before us as well. And the next thing that John hears and sees is the answer to that question. John pauses here in the middle of the seven seals, and he sees another vision. So first he hears from an angel of those who are sealed by the Lamb. And there's 144,000 people, 12,000 from each tribe. Now, there's many who want to ascribe this to a physical number of people. However, as we take a little, little bit of a look at the symbolism of numbers, the 12 uh, from each tribe, 12 is another number of completion used to represent God's people. Uh, we have the 12 uh, elders and 12 apostles. And then 1,000 is also used to represent uh, infinite or a complete set. And so the 144,000 is the complete count uh, is of those who are saved. It's not a physical count, but it is all those who are uh, numbered and sealed by the Lamb. But here, John uh, sees something different. So he heard that there were 12,000 from each tribe, but as he turns, he sees an innumerable multitude. He can't even count it. And they're from every nation with every tongue, and they all have victory in the blood of the Lamb. And all these fall to worship the Lamb. Revelation 7 verse 14, an angel said to John, these are the ones coming out of the great tribulation. They have washed their robes and made them white in the blood of the Lamb. So again, we see that victory comes through the Lamb's victory. And those who have been slain, those who have been killed, are washed and made whole in the blood of the Lamb. So as the seventh seal is broken, there's a period of silence for a half hour this sits in contrast to the trumpets that are that are coming the half hour i can't really give you a reason for the duration of that however it's it's waiting in anticipation for the revealed word of god and so with the seventh seal being broken an angel goes to the altar where the prayers of the saints are there and he gathers fire from the altar and he pours it out on the earth and when he does so there's thunder, there's lightning, and there's earthquakes. And so the day of the Lord comes upon the earth. And so after this conclusion of the seals, we back up and we see it replayed again as the angels prepare to blow the trumpets. So as we look at the trumpets, the first five trumpets represent or or are mirrored with the Egyptian plagues, um, several of the Egyptian plagues. And as we look at the Egyptian plagues and we look at Pharaoh and his sin, I want to read Exodus chapter 5, verse 2. But Pharaoh said, Who is the Lord that I should obey his voice and let Israel go? I do not know the Lord, and moreover, I will not let Israel go. And then as God is talking about Moses in chapter 9, verse 17, he says, You are still exalting yourself against my people and will not let them go. So what was Pharaoh's great sin? It was that he refused to recognize who God was. Not only that, but he continued to exalt himself against God's people. He continued to exalt himself as a God. He says, I don't know who the Lord is. And so the plagues that were sent upon Egypt were used to proclaim God's name throughout the entire earth and to show His power and glory. And so here he is using Rome to do exactly the same. And so this is a warning to all those who exalt themselves to be God, remember at this time, Kerry talked about that Roman em- uh, uh, emperor worship was a common practice. David talked about this as well. And so this is a warning of those in their imminent destruction. So trumpet one. With each of these, just a, a third is affected of-, of the earth. Trumpet one, we see hail, fire, and blood rain down on the earth. And we see a third of the earth and plants are burned up. Trumpet 2, this burning mountain is taken out of its place and thrown into the sea, and the sea becomes blood. There's an interesting passage in Jeremiah 51 that describes Babylon as a burning mountain that's going to be covered by the sea. So a little bit of a reflection back on that of Rome being destroyed and brought down. We can also look to the eruption of Mount Vesuvius, uh, which was uh, the volcano that destroyed Pompeii in AD 79. So in this, a third of the sea animals and ships are destroyed. Trumpet three, the star Wormwood is, falls down to the earth. Wormwood was a plant that was used to make a poisonous extract. And so from this, a third of the fresh water on the earth is polluted. And so many people die from this. Trumpet four, the sun, moon, and, and stars are struck and darkness uh, shines on, or doesn't shine. Darkness comes over the earth, and so a third of the sun, moon, and stars are affected by that. In the last three trumpets, an angel announces a uh, three additional woes that are coming upon the earth. Trumpet five, we see a star falling from heaven. Stars uh, were used to represent angels in the Bible, and so this star falls uh, and opens the bottomless pit. And the name of this star is translated as the destroyer. And so the destroyer is likely Satan, who's coming uh, to the pit to release his army. And his army is full of these demon locusts. Now, the demon locusts are released, and they only have the power to harm those who do not have the seal of God. And they have scorpion stingers, and they hurt those people who are stung for a short period of time. Now, as I look at this, I think of the power of Satan and the power of sin over those who are captive to sin. Sin is something that stings for a time, that causes pain for us. It may not kill us, as the locusts were not given the power to kill those. But this is Satan releasing his army on the earth. Trumpet 6, we see the four angels that are uh, at the east. And coming from the east, they bring with them 200 million troops and a demon horse cavalry that comes with them. So, again, this is looking back to, I think this is looking back to the four horsemen repeating that theme. Also, we see uh, the repeated theme of the Parthians coming from the east. So, a third of mankind is killed from this. In Revelation chapter 9, verses 20 and 21, it says, "...the rest of mankind who were not killed by these plagues did not repent of the works of their hands, nor give up worshiping demons." "...and idols of gold and silver and bronze and stone and wood, which cannot see or hear or walk, nor did they repent of their murders or their sorceries or their sexual immorality or their thefts." So despite the judgments that come on the wicked, despite God bringing these calamities on them, there's still people who do not repent. So the question becomes, will the nations repent? Is there something else that could bring them to God? So at this point, we get another break and an interlude. And here, John is given the unsealed scroll. An angel gives it to him, and he's told to eat the scroll, just like Ezekiel was in one of his visions. And as he eats this scroll, it's sweet to him as he tastes it, but it's bitter in his stomach, and it represents the bittersweet message that the scroll has. And he's told to proclaim this message to the nations and, pro- and to prophesy Of this scroll. And so the bittersweet message is about the persecution of the church, but ultimate victory of the saints. So the first vision, he is told to measure the temple. It's another thing that happens in the book of Ezekiel. So he's told to measure the temple and the altar and those who worship. And as we, but he's told not to measure the outside, and the outside was given over to the nations to trample. And to destroy. Now, many people believe this is about the physical destruction of Jerusalem. We've established in previous studies that Revelation was likely written after Jerusalem was destroyed. Instead, as we think about the previous vision of the 144,000, and we think about the New Testament writings of, how, of what the, the true temple is, we can read 1 Corinthians 3 and 16. Do you not know that you are the the God, excuse me that you are God's temple and that God's spirit dwells in you? So we are taught that the temple dwells in each Christian. And so John is here to measure and to again number those who are sealed by the lamb. So we see this parallel to the 144,000. But he's told not to measure what's outside that was given to be trampled by the nations. Again, this is calling uh, to mind the persecution that the church is going to go through. The holy city is representative of the church. And so it's given over for this period of 42 months that uh, Carry talked about. Is, is referenced in the book of Daniel for this short period of time where tribulation would come upon the church. The second vision, two witnesses appear. The first described as an olive tree. Olive trees are uh, referenced in Zechariah four, and these two there are two olive trees that represents a king and a priest who would rebuild God's temple, and so this is a call back to Christ being our king and our high priest, and then they're also called lampstands. Lampstands is a clear message to be representative of the church, as the seven churches of Asia were called lampstands, and so here. Uh, the two witnesses represent the churches. They have the power of Moses and Elijah, representing the law and the prophets. And so this three and a half years, they are given to testify. It mirrors the ministry of Christ and also mirrors the length of the tribulation. But as these two are proclaiming the message, as they are prophesying, a beast shows up from the pit and he kills them. And their dead bodies are left out on the street. They refuse to bury them, showing the total rejection of their message and the prophecies they had for the nations. In Revelation 11, verses 11 through 13, But after three and a half days, that's three and a half years, a breath of life from God entered them. And they stood up on their feet, and a great fear fell on those who saw them. And they heard a loud voice from heaven saying to them, Come up here. And they went up to heaven in a cloud, and their enemies watched them. And at that hour there was a great earthquake, and a tenth of the city fell. Seven thousand people were killed in the earthquake, and the rest were terrified and gave glory to the God of heaven. So it's interesting that as those who see uh, the witnesses resurrected, they see them alive again. At this moment, They listen to the message, and they give glory to God. And so as we think about this, I think of the church emulating the life of Christ. Not fighting against their enemies, not a physical battle, but freely giving up their lives as Christ has done. And not only that, but proclaiming the gospel and preaching to the nations. Preaching to those who are outside. And through that, there are some who will be uh, brought to glorify God, and brought to the gospel. And so we as Christians, we as the church, need to be proclaiming the message that the witnesses were here and proclaiming and preaching the gospel. Finally, the seventh trumpet blows, and we see the coming of the day of the Lord. And this time as the thunder and lightning and earthquakes come, it comes from the Ark of the Covenant. So the first time it came from the altar we see a little bit of intensification, amplification. Now it's coming from the ark of the covenant, coming closer to the glory of God. So after the seventh trumpet, we'll see a pretty big break here, but John sees many visions throughout chapters 12 through 15, and I'm going to hit the wave tops of this. Danny's going to cover it in more detail next week. But I want to point out that this break also mirrors and uh, repeats like we had two breaks in the previous seven. This time it comes before the seven bowls are poured out on the earth. So these visions that uh, that John sees is to show him the spiritual workings behind the church's persecution. And it's revealed that Satan is the one behind this persecution. He's represented as a dragon making war with God and making war with the saints. He's been doing this since the beginning of time. In Revelation 12, verses 10 through 12, I think um, this is a passage that has really stuck out for me in uh, my study of the cycles of seven. It reads, And I heard a loud voice in heaven saying, Now the salvation and the power of the kingdom of our God and the authority of his Christ have come. For the accuser of our brothers has been thrown down, who can accuse them day and night before our God? And they, have, and they have conquered Him by the blood of the Lamb, and by the word of their testimony. For they love not their own lives, even unto death. Therefore rejoice, O heavens and you who dwell in them. But woe to you, O earth and sea. For the devil has come down to you in great wrath, because he knows that his time is short. I really think this is an amazing passage that stands out because I think it pretty well sums up the message of the sevens. As we look at those who are victorious, the way that the church conquers is through the blood of the Lamb, through the testimony of His Word, not by taking up our own lives, but freely giving it in service to others. We're to emulate the Lamb, and His sacrifice that He gave for others, that He gave for us. And this is how we're conquerors. Not through physical conquering or not through war. Not a physical kingdom. Nothing can separate us from God. Christ has sealed us. But here we see that although Satan is defeated, he's going to bring some people with him. He's going to make sure that others are defeated as well. And so we see a choice laid before us and before the seven churches. Join the lamb in his victory or be destroyed with the devil and his angels. So Satan uses methods to, dis- to try to destroy the church, to persecute the church. Two beasts rise up. Again, indicate indications of Rome, representative of Rome. And they... Uh, This is showing us that Satan is using the powers of this world to deceive the nations, to deceive others into joining him, and to keep others from joining in Christ's victory, the victory of the Lamb, and keep them from conquering. And here we see the mark of the beast, 666, contrasted with the seal of God. So there are those who are marked by the beast who participate in, And the evil workings of the beast and those who are sealed by God. And so then we see the John sees the Lamb and the Saints, and he sees the hundred and forty-four thousand again, those who have not defiled themselves with the beast, and they're singing a new song, one that only they can know. I don't know if you know this or not, but we sing a song about this song. And we actually sang it on Sunday. About this song that we can't know here on earth, but one day we'll know on heaven. We we look forward to singing that song with Christ. And here we see three angelic warnings. The first one we see is of the uh, proclaiming of the eternal gospel. The angel says, "Fear God and give him give him glory because the hour of his judgment has come and worship him who made the heaven and earth, the sea and the springs of water." The second proclamation we get from the angel is that Babylon has fallen. Remember, Babylon, Egypt, Sodom, all of these are used interchangeably to represent the beast. And he proclaims, anyone who bears the mark of the beast will drink of the wine of God's wrath. And then finally, he pronounces, Blessed are those who die in the Lord, because they have gained victory. And we see two harvests one, the harvest of good grain, which is the church and the saints, and the harvest of the grapes that are going to be thrown into the wine press. And these are the wicked. So it's after this we see the seven angels appear with seven bowls that are going to be poured out on the earth to reveal God's wrath. This has been the final warning before God's judgment is poured out. There's no break in here. It is all judgment upon the earth. These are similar to the the trumpets, but they are more intense. So the first bowl is sores and boils. The second, the sea becomes blood and all things in it die. The third, fresh water becomes blood. And we see that all these things are judgment against those who have killed the saints. And then the fourth bowl is poured out and the sun scorches all earth and people. And in Revelation 16, verse 9, it says, "...they were scorched by the fierce heat, and they cursed the name of God who had power over these plagues. They did not repent and give Him glory." And so despite this judgment coming upon the earth, coming upon the Roman Empire, they still will not repent. The fifth bowl is poured out against the beast and his kingdom, and it is destroyed. And then the sixth bowl is poured out. And it's at this moment that the river Euphrates is dried up. And for Rome, this means that the Parthians are no longer restrained and their downfall is imminent. And here at the sixth bowl, we see all evil is gathered for the battle of Armageddon. The dragon, the false prophet, the demon frogs, and evil kings all gather to make this final battle against Christ and the church. Again, many people believe this is a physical thing. But if we think about this in the spiritual context, we think about uh, the Old Testament, this is in reference to Mount Megiddo, which is a site where Israel had many victories uh, as God's people. We have Gideon's victory, Saul's victory over the Philistines, Deborah and Barak. This also uh, calls back to memory in Ezekiel 39 as God battles against Gog and destroys him, this God of the heathens. And so here, God will provide the final victory over all evil. And it's interesting because there's really not any description of the battle, it's just over. Right after this, the day of the Lord comes. And I believe if we look to Revelation chapter 20, verses 7 through 10, this is depicted again. This battle is shown uh, again, and Satan and his servants are defeated. And so the seventh bowl comes, the day of the Lord comes upon the earth and upon Babylon and Rome. And this time it comes directly from the throne of God. And still humans choose to curse God. And it's fascinating, despite the suffering and signs that people will see, there are still those who choose not to repent. There are still those who choose to go against God. And we see that today as well. Despite warnings, despite sin plaguing people's life, they choose not to repent. So as we conclude, I want to highlight again the cyclical nature and drive home the points from the cycle of sevens. There's some repeating themes and messages that we see that reiterate and amplify. First, we see the persecution, uh, or excuse me, the judgment that comes against Rome, that uh, will bring Rome to its destruction. We have the four horsemen, we have the plagues, and we have the battles. We also see that the saints will be, uh, the saints in the church will be persecuted. They'll be killed, they'll be trampled, and they'll be pursued. But we see that Satan is ultimately behind this. He's empowering the evil forces of this world to make war. Against the saints, But ultimately, those who are found in the Lamb, those who are sealed by Him, will be victorious and conquer. And God vindicates His saints. Their prayers are heard. Justice will be brought to the earth through the victory and the blood of the Lamb. And then finally, each of these conclude with the day of the Lord coming. And each time it's depicted as earth, having earthquakes, thunder, and lightning. This terrifying imagery... And the day of the Lord, as He comes in His judgment, will be a terrifying day for those who are not found and sealed by the blood of the Lamb. So I ask you tonight, have you been sealed by the blood of the Lamb? Are you going to be a conqueror? And are you going to be victorious? Only those who are in the Lamb can stand in the day of judgment and stand in the day of the Lord. So as we finish this up, I want to hit home three points of the, cycles of the cycle of sevens. These are heavenly visions about God's judgment on humanity. Number one, this was judgment on the Roman Empire. But it, it's also judgment against the wicked, any uh, person or nation who rises up to persecute the Christians, to make themselves God. It doesn't matter what your country name is, Germany, Russia, China, the United States. All of these can become these evil beasts that make themselves to be God. God's judgment will come finally over Satan, and he will be victorious in the day of the Lord. We also see the encouragement of the saints. And just as it was an encouragement to them who were about to uh, go through intense persecution, it can be an encouragement for us. And although we don't face the persecution or the trials that they had to go through, We too can conquer through the blood of the Lamb. We too can be victorious. God is hearing your prayers. He heard the prayers of His saints, and God will bring justice. And finally, victory is achieved by laying down your life, by living in service to others, by following the example of the blood of the Lamb. And ultimately, the Lamb and His Word will conquer. So as we Finish tonight, I ask again, are you found in the blood of the Lamb? Have you been sealed by Him? If you want to begin your walk with Him, if you want to have that great victory, if you want to conquer in the day of the Lord, you can start your walk with Him tonight by being baptized. If you need to repent of your sins, you need to be brought back into the fold, we can assist you with that as well. Please come as we sing this song.